praise your son, Jesus, for all that he's done for us. So we know that we have been purchased with his blood. We are thankful for that today. We worship you because of that. We would pray now that as we um, transition and, and, and take a look into your word, I pray that you would impact us the way that you intend to. We know that your word says that it will not come back void. Um, so I pray that you'd help us to hear it today. Uh, we pray for Pete, that you would give him um, your words today as, um, as he presents what you have for us. So we, we look forward to that today. Um, we pray that you'd help us now. We hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you this morning, and if you are a guest with us, again, I want to just welcome you to our church this morning and uh, let you know that we are glad that you're here. Hopefully you were blessed by that time of worship, and, and now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word, and we want to let it speak to us this morning and challenge our hearts. So if you have a, a copy of God's Word, would you take it out or turn it on and open it to the book of Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And before we get started today, I just wanted to give a quick update. Uh, as you can probably tell, for those of you who are regular first service attenders, we're a little light in here this morning, which is not normal. Don't get used to it uh, because it'll be full again next week. But we had over 250 men who were able to uh, be at men's retreat. Yeah. New location uh, on the coast this year at Twin Rocks Camp, uh, just in between Cannon Beach and Tillamook. And we had two guest speakers this year, both from a church in Tampa, Florida, called Idlewild, and Dr. Ken Wheaton, uh, Witten, and his uh, uh, student pastor is also his son-in-law, Kelly Knaus, came, and, and I was there for uh, the first three sessions. They're finishing up this morning. It was powerful, a powerful time of worship. Uh, the, the word that was brought was amazing, and, and I, am, I am thrilled to report that there were several decisions uh, for salvation last night at that service, yeah, which is, which is something to celebrate, uh, because that means that there were men who were invited and said yes to go to this retreat who were not walking in fellowship with their creator, and they responded to the gospel, the free gift of salvation, uh, and so that, we're excited about that, but there were many men who also stood up to a challenge last night about not leaving this retreat unchanged. And I know for, for many of you, maybe you're a spouse in here, or you're a mother who has a son at the retreat, or a family member, maybe, you're, maybe your parent is there. And I know that many of you have bathed, uh, they're going to retreat in prayer, praying that God would do something in them. And I believe that God has been stirring in hearts with his spirit and his word. And so I just want to take a moment before we start our sermon today to pray for these men. Because we have an enemy who doesn't want them to come home and be any different inside their homes, inside their families, inside their workplaces. And yet God has the power of his word, is a living and active, it's alive, and he desires those men to continue to move forward in faith under his strength. So I want to pray for them. I want to pray for you as you welcome them back into your home that it would be an opportunity to discuss what that, what's, what's taken place and that we would just be able to praise God for the things he's doing in the lives of his people. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, uh, we're not special. Uh, we are not unique outside of the fact that you've created us in your image and you have made us in a certain way. And, and you've called us into this relationship with you. you. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins and, and you've invited us to 
to, to restore what we broke because of our sin, uh, to restore it by faith alone, not by works. And I'm so thankful for the many men who have had the opportunity to maybe leave work early or, or come up late and be able to be ministered to by uh, these guest speakers and your word, God. And we've, we've heard their challenge this weekend, which was to be a man who shows up, be a man who, who is not passive, but is courageously leading as you would have them lead in their own personal walk with you and in their families and, and in their workplaces. And so God, I pray for these men. I pray as they wrap up this morning that, that you would allow them to continue to be encouraged and challenged, that you would allow them to be able to make the safe drive home from the coast and be able to uh, re-engage with their families this afternoon and be able to now take those next steps of faith as they come back into their everyday life, God. Would you allow them to plug into accountability and discipleship and allow the growth process to continue to happen in their lives and that we can celebrate and testify that it's you and you alone that has led to transformation in hearts. We're so thankful for those men who profess faith uh, in your gift of salvation for the first time. We're so thankful for the men who said, Something needs to change, and I'm, I'm ready now to say, God, make that happen. And so we just pray that you would allow this church and these families here to be able to help these men. God, thank you for this weekend. We prayed in your son's name. Amen. I love preaching. I love being with you. And every time I do, I, it comes uh, with a, a certain level of grind, uh, that, that expression of just this work, because uh, as, as many preachers will tell you, the, the first person you preach the sermon to is yourself. And uh, several weeks ago, as we were thinking about kicking off the new calendar year, what, what did we feel like our church and the people that are Salem hiders, what is it that we need to be encouraged with? Sometimes we need to be challenged. God's Word has a way of doing that uh, irregardless, whatever the passage may be. But uh, what we wanted to be able to do is to, to remind ourselves of the call to be growing in our faith, the call to spiritual maturity. And last week, Pastor Matt uh, kicked us off on this two-week mini-series talking about the importance of spiritual maturity and how spiritual maturity is something that starts on the inside, and it starts with growing in God's Word. But this morning, I want to kind of take it again, revisit the topic of spiritual maturity and take it another step further and be able to consider for this morning the fruit of spiritual maturity. Uh, last week, we, we laid out this truth statement, and it's in our notes again this week, and that is this, that the Christian life should be marked by spiritual growth. That as, as we start that relationship by faith, and then we begin to live on our days until uh, we uh, pass away and are with Him, we are to be growing. We are not to be able to, 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 to stay where we were at. We're not supposed to be the same person we were prior, and we're not to be the same person we were right after we were saved. We are now into the, entering into this growth process to, to grow in our knowledge of Him first and foremost. And so I want us to consider what the evidence of spiritual growth looks like in the life of a believer who's maturing. Because I believe the first mark of maturity is that a believer has an understanding of God's word for themselves, that you are able to teach other people about what God's word says. If you remember our text last week in Hebrews, there was this, this uh, kind of rebuke to the audience of that letter 
for having learned the elementary principles of God's word, learned these things about Christ, and yet they had not grown to the point where they were able to grow in a deeper understanding of that and to be able to teach other people about that. And he said, you should have been, now at this point in your Christian life, be able to tell other people about this, but you're still needing to take on these really basic truths. And it's said in such a way that we get the real clear indication that that is not God's design. That you and I should know for ourselves what God's word says. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks was a uh, professor for a long time down at Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he wrote a really classic book called Living by the Book. It's a great little book on how to study God's word. And in the, the opening chapter, he gives kind of six reasons why people don't study God's word for them uh, themselves. And one of them that's always stood out to me was this, this kind of layman's excuse, which was, I kind of know God's word. I know the Ten Commandments. I know the Golden Rule. I know kind of the big things. But anything beyond that, well, I'll just go to my pastor to tell me that because he's the one that gets paid to know what God's word says. And I'll go to them and they'll just tell me what I'm supposed to believe and then I'll go on. And that's good for me. And he said, that's, that's not okay because we've all been called to grow in our knowledge of God's word. We've all been given at the moment of our salvation, his Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the spiritual truths that are in God's word. The unregenerate heart, the person that's not saved, can read God's word and not really understand it, might not really grow from it. But those who are saved have the ability now for it to come to life. It's illuminated. It's like it, it just, it, we start to get it. Things start to click. Light bulbs start to go off. And so that is the first mark of spiritual maturity, is a person who now starts this relationship with God and then grows in their knowledge of God's word and then has a desire to tell other people about it. But I believe there's a second mark of spiritual maturity that we need to be inspecting our own lives for. And that's, this, that's the mark of fruitful work. Fruitful work. Our text this morning is Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And, and I really just want to read this passage and, and let it speak to us. This is a, a, a letter in its original form. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in a place called Colossae. And he's writing to it, and you're going to hear it. And this is, a, this is a group of people that Paul is very fond of. But in it, he's going to reflect a, a heart, a prayer that he has been praying for them now that they're apart. And as I was beginning to think about what we need to kind of examine in, in, in regards to the topic of spiritual maturity this morning, this prayer in the first part of Colossians definitely reflects, I believe, my heart for us this morning. I, I want God's word to speak to us. So we'll read Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and then when we will, uh, I'll share a couple thoughts with us to think on. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read our text for this morning? Starting in verse 1 of Colossians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world is con constantly bearing fruit, increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learn it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. 
and he has also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe that's true? It is. You may be seated. One of the passages uh, later on in chapter 1, one of the, the thoughts that Paul communicates as he's, as he's writing the introduction to this letter is a heart, uh, kind of he lays out his ministry motivation, what got him up in the morning, what he lived for. And Paul had very clearly been called by God to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, to those non-Jewish people. And Paul began to deliver the word faithfully to those people. But later on in chapter 1, Paul talks about that he had, been, he had dedicated his life to a certain goal, a certain motivation with everyone that he came in contact with. And that was this, that, that every person that he had presented the gospel to, once they would believe, he wanted to help them grow in that knowledge and in their spiritual maturity so that at, at the end of their life, they would be presented before their Savior as complete in Him. That was His motivation. That, that's our motivation as a church, is that we would be God's ministers, that we would be His people to be able to come alongside one another and to be able to carry each other's burdens, be able to encourage each other along in our development as a follower of Christ. And through this process of spiritual transformation, as God begins to change us from the inside out, that we would become complete in Him. Perfect is what some of the translations use, which just means that we are experiencing on this side of glory the life that He has enabled us to have by, by faith. And so this is His passionate desires that every man and woman would be complete in Christ, spiritually mature. This passage kind of breaks down in, in these 14 verses. I'm, we're really going to highlight verses 9 and 10, this prayer that he has for them. And what we see here is that bearing fruit is always a mark of maturity. Bearing fruit is always a mark of maturity. When we look at plants, trees, vines, uh, they start as little seedlings. They start to come up out of the soil. And it takes time for some trees and plants and vines to reach their maturity. But once they start to produce fruit, that is a sign not only of health and life, but a sign that they have gotten to an age where they can actually produce fruit. They can, they can produce and reproduce the thing that they've been created to do. We see the same thing with, with mankind, right? A child cannot bear other children. There's a point where they become physically mature and they are able to then reproduce. But bearing fruit is always a mark that inside that, that, that plant, that person, from a physical standpoint, is mature. 
God's inspiration of this because this is God's word as he directed Paul to write his word out to the church of Colossae uses this illustration of fruit bearing to be understood as this is one this is the goal that the goal of discipleship the goal of growing in our faith and understanding is not just to grow intellectually in our knowledge of God's word but that we would be fruitful in every good work that we would bear fruit that that would be the sign of our spiritual maturity. But as we look at these verses in verses 9 and 10, what we see is that spiritual growth is an inward transformation that produces outward attitudes and behaviors. Look at the first thing that he prays for. He says in verse 9, for this reason, let's pause right there, what reason? Well, if we go into the context, it says in verse 4, since we heard, it was reported to Paul, that the believers in Colossae had faith in Christ and that they had a love for one another. And that they were continuing to live this out, that they were continuing to believe in Christ, continuing to grow in their faith, continuing to love one another as they had been instructed to. For this reason, since we heard of their faith in Christ and their love for one another, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you first be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is impossible apart from God. We cannot produce these spiritually good works on our own. Just like a branch on a tree the outside of that branch, that in part there might be a piece of fruit that produced or a beautiful flower or or a a bunch of grapes or something will be produced on it, but it has to be connected to a life source. It has to be connected to a source where it moves up from the ground, taking the nutrients out of the soil, works its way up the trunk or the vine, and then extends that, pushes it out to the branches so that fruit can be produced. Like physical growth, There is no spiritual growth in a person, in a believer's life, without the right nutrients. Those nutrients are the Word of God coming through us by the Spirit of God that produces fruit in our life. A few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go to a friend's wedding up in the Seattle area, and we were able to meet some other friends from out of town. We had a it was just a great time. That's a beautiful part of the Northwest, and. The weather was actually fairly decent, and uh, our friends uh, wanted to, to kind of take a tour. They're, they're out-of-towners. They weren't from Washington or even Oregon, and so they said, hey, let's, let's take a tour of Pike Place Market. And so they have these tours where you can wake up with the market, and you go, and they take you around all these little, they kind of tell you the history, and you get to visit little shops, and you get to try little foods, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things, if you've been up there, is you know that uh, it really started out back in its origination as a place for all the farmers to come. And what we don't kind of realize is Seattle is this, this city built on a hill, and there's lots of asphalt and concrete. And then you see the, the Puget Sound there, and you kind of can smell the industry of that with the seafood and all that. But one of the things is that if you go within like an hour in multiple directions, east, north, south, west, I mean, you can't really go west anymore. You'd get, but you could, I guess. Um, but they bring in all this produce that not only is the Northwest known for trees, but in that part of Washington, there are farmers raising all kinds of animals. There's all kinds of vegetation, um, not just apples, which Washington is really known for. But one of the places we got to stop on this tour was at one of these fruit stands. 
And, and he said, Let me, I'll be right back. And so our tour guide went to the back, talked to the guys, and he came out with this sample. And it was just this, I don't even remember the name of the apple. I had never heard of it, but it was, one of the, it was like candy. It was so good. It was so good. And then they had this pear that was grown in this area too, and we got a slice of that. But you know what that reflects is that, that, that this part of the country, the, the right kind of and enough moisture, obviously we get a lot of rain, but the soil has the right nutrients and the right amount of sunlight that those fruits and vegetables grow and they have the full, the full taste. Everything that God created that piece of fruit to be is accomplished because it has the right nutrients. It's in the right kind of orchard. It's being cared for in the right way. And so the right soil, the right climate, the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of water leads to the most productive trees, fruits, and vines. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, hey, abide in me, and I in you. If you abide in me, which means if you remain in me, if you pursue me, if you focus on me, if you make your relationship with me the main thing in your life, the thing that you're pursuing, the thing that you're spending your time thinking about, the taking in and ingesting God's word and, and everything that Jesus Christ taught that's recorded for us in the New Testament, says if you will abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We know this to be true, but we cannot mature in Christ on our own. We must abide, be connected to a source of life, and that is the Spirit of God in us, giving us an understanding of God's Word, and we begin to mature. So spiritual growth is not built on intellectual knowledge alone, but it needs that knowledge, Then the Holy Spirit takes that, and, and those are the nutrients that cause us to grow spiritually. And so as we grow in our knowledge, an inward transformation begins to take place. And Paul highlights that next in this passage. Verse 10 says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. I want you to notice the progression here. That we cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please God in all respects before we are actually filled with the knowledge of His will and an understanding of his wisdom. So Paul's prayer was, I want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to spend time thinking about what God has told us. I want you to spend time thinking about what Jesus has said. I want you to take time to grow in that and let the Spirit of God give you understanding so that you will then be able to live in a way that's different than you lived before you started a relationship with God. And when we do it this way, when we follow this progression, we commit ourselves to knowing God's word, he begins to change our thoughts. He begins to change our perspective, how we see things. He begins to change how we feel. He begins to change our desires. We cannot stay the same if we're being filled with God's word. You believe that's true? The Bible says if we will... Spend time in this word. We cannot leave unchanged. And that we can go to it and have understanding, and it begins to change us. As, as 2 Corinthians tells us, it begins to change us from one degree of glory to another. The spiritual transformation, it starts to change us to be more like Christ. But personal change is not the final stage of maturity. Because then look what he prays for next. 
He prays that they would be filled with knowledge so that the next stage they would be able to internally begin to change and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to live in a way that, that reflects this change and live in a way that glorifies God. But then he says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What is good work? What is this good work that we're called to? Because it's, it's really important. Sometimes we get a little bit hesitant to even talk about the work that we are called to do because we believe, unlike other religions or maybe other ideas about how man becomes good, successful, or approved by God, is that we believe that we had nothing to do with our salvation and that God's desire to save us had nothing to do with any kind of work we did prior to starting a relationship with him. Our salvation is based on what he has done for us alone. It's based on what he has accomplished and secured for us and now has offered and extended freely to us. And says, if you will believe this to be true, you will have all the benefits of what I accomplished for you on the cross when I paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. So when we talk about good works, we're not talking about things we do to become saved. But what scripture clearly teaches us is that the life of a child of God who's maturing and growing in the faith is going to be a person that their life and their actions and the things that they're about and the things that they're committed to are going to be in line with what God is doing. That we're going to be doing things that God says, that's good because that's what I am doing. That's what I want you to be doing. And that we can be fruitful, that there could be success, that there could be benefit, that there could be positive things that come out of our good works. Because why? Because the Spirit of God is growing us into the man or woman of God and equipping us to go out and do the works that he has created for us to do. So your life should have fruit hanging from it. Your life, if you are growing and spiritually maturing, there should be an outward evidence that you are a follower of Christ, that you are growing in that faith. But it's not in a way that draws attention to yourself. It's not supposed to be in a way that gives you the glory or the credit. And it's definitely not because you're trying to earn God's favor or hold on to your salvation. He has saved you. He's adopted you. He has placed you in his family. And now he's giving you a purpose. Good work is the work that God is doing. He is so good and gracious to invite us to join him in that work. He doesn't keep us on the sidelines. So when we read the story of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, we kind of see this process unfolded. Now, one of the terms that's kind of used for spiritual growth or a person's individual spiritual growth is discipleship. Uh, we talk about men's and women's discipleship here. We've had opportunities even today. You can still sign up after the service for men's and women's discipleship group. And those are just groups of people that come together, men with men, women with women. We even have small groups that come together and they get around God's word and they are learning God's word and they're encouraging each other to be obedient to it. The word discipleship actually is not in the Bible. We see the word disciple and we see this idea of called to grow as a follower of Christ in our knowledge of the word and in our obedience to it. But when we use discipleship, then we're referring to this process of growth. Now, if we read through the Gospels, and I know many of you have, you see this, this process where, where Jesus selects 12 men to be his followers. And, and there are a lot of different illustrations that have been given to kind of show this process of discipleship that's kind of reflected in Jesus' earthly ministry. 
Uh, but one of them that I've, I come ac- I've come across a couple of years ago that's really resonated with me is called the four-chair approach to discipleship. And this is nothing special about this. This is just how he kind of sees this progression that we see in the Gospels. And the first chair is this come and see. And early in John chapter 1, as he's starting to call these disciples, they're, they're skeptical. They're asking, who are you? John the Baptist is proclaiming, this is the Lamb of God we've been waiting for. And some of John the Baptist, even his, his pupils, the people that were following John's teaching, they go and they ask questions. And Jesus says, come and see. Come listen. Come spend time with me. At some point in all of our lives, we're in this, this chair where we, we don't have faith yet, but someone has invited us to come and consider the claims of Christianity. Someone has co- invited us to a Bible study. Someone has invited us to church and said, come and see for yourself. We have nothing to hide and we're not afraid of scrutiny. And then we see in the scriptures that these men came and see and then Jesus invites and follow me. Believe. And these men do. And this is an exciting time in all of our lives when we hear the gospel presented and we believe for ourselves that this is true, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is God that came down in human form, died for all my sins, was buried and rose again, and now I can have a relationship with God through him. And we begin to follow him. We begin to listen to what he says. We begin to spend time thinking about his words. We begin talking to him through prayer, and he begins to transform us. But for a lot of us, it's easy to get stuck in chair two. Because chair two feels really good. Because chair two is that that baby believer. And what do we do with babies? When they come out and they're cute and cuddly, but they need a lot of attention. And so we, we hold them. We bring food to them. We make it so that they can ingest it and be able to digest it and be able to grow from it. We attend to their needs. We don't expect anything from them. And when we're first a believer, man, it feels really good for people to go, man, I'm so excited you're part of the family of God. Let me come to my discipleship group. Come to my small group. Come to sit by me at church. And they start to spend time with you, and they're calling you. How are you doing? How's your faith? They're praying for you. They're sending encouraging notes to you. Um, They're seeking you out at church, even when you're trying to get to your car real quick so they don't see you. And they're running after you saying, I saw you. I'm so glad that you're here. I mean, this feels good to be in this chair because it's all about consuming. I just get to sit there. And there's sometimes where we look at babies, we're like, man, that's the life. But it would be something like Pastor Matt said last week, it's something wrong if, if that little baby starts to grow physically but remains in that same state where they need all that attention and they need all that care and they don't actually start to learn how to take care of themselves and to help others. See, Jesus said, follow me, but then he moved him to the next chair. He said, Okay, you believe now, but now I want to start to begin to train you. I want to invite you into the work that I'm doing. So come, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to be able to teach you. And so these men would follow Jesus, and they would watch him do miracles, and they would watch him teach. And this whole time, they're helping and supporting Jesus. But Jesus is training them because he knows that after he dies on the cross and rises from the dead, he's going to be on earth for a little bit to prove that he had really risen from the dead, but then he was going to go back to heaven where he is right now to prepare a place for us. And he was going to call these men to be the ones that were going to go out and start the church, go take this gospel message to all the world and make disciples. Part of our spiritual maturity is to get out of the second chair and to move to the next chair. It's to begin to produce fruitful work. 
Again, not because we have been gifted in some amazing way and people just need to, you know, let us serve, you know, let us help them, but that he is producing the nest and he says, hey, come follow me and come join me in the work that I'm doing. But as he got closer to his death, then he, he talked about the fourth chair and he began to say, okay, now I'm leaving, but you've been equipped now. You're going to be the disciple makers. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you and I'm going to send you out into the world and I'm sending you out to go and to bear much fruit. So that tells us in John 15, verse 16. I'm going I'm to send you out to be my hands and feet. You're going to be disciple makers. It is nice to sit in the second chair, but we are called as believers to continue to mature down this discipleship continuum to become a disciple maker, to become someone that takes the word of God under the power of God, not by any of their own might or their own intellect, and takes it to a hurting and lost world and says, this is what Christ did for you because of God's great love. And they go along to other believers and they bear each other's burdens and they admonish and encourage one another and they are constantly looking to serve in the works that God has created for them to do. And so good works are the things that God is doing. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that God has created good works for us to do after we are saved. He's given us a purpose, a calling, a gifting, spiritually gifted. He's given us an ability that we didn't have prior to salvation, and he intends for us to use that to build up his church and to reach a lost and dying world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to Timothy that those, instead of seeking worldly riches, we should be rich in good works, that we should be looking for ways that we can be joining God, praying, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you're calling me to? In 2 Timothy, in his second letter to his pupil Timothy, Paul writes that, that God's word will equip us for every good work that we are called to do. Because you know what? Sometimes the thing that God calls us to do as we grow through the spiritual maturity process and we move out of the second chair into the third chair into the fourth chair, sometimes we don't feel adequate. Sometimes we don't feel like we have all the right equipping to go and do that work. God must have picked the wrong person. Paul says, no, no, no. God's word will equip you. It'll, it'll strengthen you. It'll be what you give to people. So you just be ready to go. And so we see here that the fruit of spiritual maturity is always others-focused. The Bible talks about a fruit that is produced in us as part of the inferred transformation, the fruit of the Spirit, all these amazing qualities. But if we look at those qualities, love and joy, peace, patience, the whole list— these are all other focused qualities that he begins in us that he's going to use as we go out. That I'm going to be demonstrating self-control towards other people. I'm going to be patient with other people. I'm going to be loving to other people. I'm going to be good and kind to other people. And these good works that God is going to call us to as part of, of the spiritual maturing process are always going to be others focused. And so spiritual maturity, yes, it starts with God's word. But what I want to challenge us this morning is this, is that God did not save us and then give us his word and then start growing us for us to stay in second chair. That he wants to now continue to move us down and equip us so that we can be his hands and feet and that we can be uh, joining him in the good work that he is still doing until he comes back. And that is the, that is the work of building up his church and reaching the lost. 
And he's invited all of us to be participating in that work. Uh, There are a number of opportunities at our church to do this work. They're not even exclusive. There are opportunities outside of our church where God is at work and God might be leading you to join. But one one of the things we see is that we are called to be a part of a local church. We are called to be part of serving not just the other believers here, but doing the thing that that church is called to do out in a lost and dying world. We're so thankful for the many servants that we have joining us. But there are a few opportunities that we want to make aware to you as we wrap up this this series on spiritual maturity. We have a number of trips going out this year in missions, and, and on every missions trip, there are a variety of roles. I'm reminded of last year, we went to Latvia and we took a group of people, they, they really didn't know each other. We had 13 on our team and they came together. And it was amazing to see that when we actually got in the country and we began to do the work and, and see what the missionaries were asking us to do, that everything that they felt they needed for that camp and for the, the gospel work, God had uniquely brought somebody on the team that had that skill. It was incredible. Like, we didn't even know that we had everything we needed until we got there, and then God started to unpack the bag that he sent with us. You know, it's like when you're a little kid, and you maybe go to your first overnight camp, or you go away with friends, and you think you got everything packed, but mom snuck in some extra underwear, socks, and some snacks for you because she knows that you don't have everything you're going to need. And then you discover it, and you're like, oh, yeah. God knows exactly what we need in missions, and, but there are a lot of times people go, I, even, I mean, I was the trip leader for Latvia last year, and there was a couple of our teammates who were like, you know, I'm just not sure I'm supposed to go on this. As we start to talk and prep, like, I don't know how I'm going to be used. I said, well, hey, we've prayed about this. We're going to continue to trust God, and let's just, let's just go. Let's go join him in the work over there. And now they, they, they were able to go, man, I, God used me. And God does something in us when he uses us to join him in that. So maybe God's calling you to the mission field. Maybe God wants you to say, I'm going to start out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go serve and take the gospel to all parts of this world. If God's stirring you to think about that, we've got a table just out to the right of all our missions opportunities. There's no commitment needed to go and look and see what's there. But perhaps he's going to send you there. We need so many different types of people, and we don't even know what we need but we know that God's going to provide it. We have an amazing ministry called the Calm Ministry. You might not even know that the Calm Ministry exists because they are so ninja. It's a group of, of women, many of them widows, who come alongside people from our church and a lot of times people who'd have no affiliation with Salem Heights. And they come and they provide all the hospitality for those families. They, they, they organize meals, they organize receptions, and they are there greeting those who have lost a loved one. So many times during the middle of the week when a lot of us aren't here and we're having memorial services and, and, and funerals here at the church, these calm, this calm team is coming and being the hands and feet of Jesus to people sometimes who don't know Jesus, and they're blown away by that. This team needs to continue to grow because people in our community are continuing to look at us and say, hey, would you help us walk through this tragedy? Would you help us walk through this? So there's opportunities to be a part of that. 
And you might go, well, I'm not sure if I know how to help someone who's just lost a loved one, and I'm not sure if I know what it means. If, if God's going to call you to that, his word's going to equip you. And there are some awesome women already part of this team that will teach you their ninja ways. <laughs> how they get in and just serve, and they don't want to be noticed. But I tell you what, if they weren't there, it would be noticeable. We need more. We need more young women to come and join that team. Foster Parent Night Out, we, we talked about that ministry last week, serving these foster families. We had like three pages of sign-ups, so good job for that. People said, I'm going to come and serve. But just being able to come and say, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but yes, I feel like the Lord wants me to do this, and I can sign up for once a month. Hospitality, walking into our church, seeing a friendly face at the door, seeing some fine-dressed men at the doors to offer you a program and help you find a seat, especially during first service. People that are looking for new families and say, hey, can I help you get your kids checked in? Do you know where you're going? It's a little bit of a maze here sometimes. Can I get you a cup of coffee? How many of you remember the first time you came to Salem Heights and that was one of the things that really put you at ease, that you were wanted and loved? I think a lot of us have. There's opportunity there. These are opportunities to join, to be part of the fruitful good work that we're called to do that's part of being a growing, maturing follower of Christ. And then we have Rock Salt, our children's ministry. And I mentioned last week we want to kind of highlight different areas of ministry just to kind of let you know what's going on there. And there's a lot of churches that kind of view uh, children's ministry as, you know, it's fun, it's cute, but just kind of keep the kids corralled while the adults go and learn about Jesus. But that's not our heart. We believe that is not the church of tomorrow, that's the church of today. And we believe that many of those kids have made true, genuine professions of faith in their Savior so why do they need to wait till they're an adult to begin growing as a follower? They don't. And so we have many servants in there, but there's always room for more because if you haven't noticed, we have a lot of kids here. But I want to introduce you to just a few of our children's uh, ministry workers who, who came by a couple weeks ago, and we were just able to kind of ask them a few questions about why they serve, what God has done in their lives by saying, yes, I'll, I'll do this, and what God's doing in this area of ministry through faithful servants like you. Why don't we take a look? We started serving at Rock Salt because uh, there was a need. And I feel like that serving is kind of why we're made. I saw like a little advertisement in the bulletin and thought, hey, why not try it out and see how it goes? I went to college, got into youth ministry, and, and just been involved in kids' life in some way, shape, or form. The most rewarding thing for me is just being able to walk alongside them, encourage them in the word, uh, being able to share the gospel with them. The kids come in and you know that they trust you. They're excited to see you and um, they just can't wait to share their week with you. I think just watching them grow up, you know, like knowing that I was able to be a part of their lives for that like one year or however long they were in my class. The longer you're in, uh, involved in the kids' life and you begin to see them grow up and and even now I have some kids that want to come and serve in my classroom with me that were in my classroom as little you know little tykes. I've grown in a lot of ways by serving in Rock Salt. It really has like taken me back to like the foundations of my faith and how do I explain that to like another person. 
I would say that God has used rock salt in a big way to just show how faithful he is. He's always given you um, the confidence. It's not difficult. You just have to get outside of your comfort zone just a little bit. But, I mean, sharing the word is the most important thing we can be doing. It's been exciting to see how God's answered their prayer requests, um, whether it's for a family member or you know, something at school. Um, it's just been a reminder to me, like, prayer is important. Well, just serving with those kids, um, it constantly reminded me that uh, there is something so much greater to be a part of than just my own little world, um, that there's a difference to be made um, that has eternal um, uh, benefits. You know, and, and of course, investing in these kids' life and uh, seeing them walk with Christ, uh, there's great joy in that. Kids are valued in the kingdom, and sharing the gospel with them and encouraging them in their walk is just as important as the adults. Another reason that rock salt is important is because we need to be able to allow parents to go worship, and they can drop their kids off, and that they're gonna be ministered to as well, and that they can come back and pick up their kids and their kids are excited about what they learned that day. I think a lot of times I get either the blank stares or the like, you know, they're not tracking, but every now and then I'll get like a kid just dialed in like, oh, they're absorbing it and they're hearing it and it's like kind of blowing their mind. And so that's super exciting. I think too, just the thought of like that they can have a relationship with him. You know, we talk about how they can be friends with God and um, how Christ made that way for them to have a relationship with him and I've seen a lot of faces in those moments where they're just like whoa you know like dialed in I want them to be confident in who they are and how and how God sees them because the world is telling them something completely different so I I want for them to know how God views them and then in that confidence I want them to be able to share with their friends and be and affects change, not just for positive sake or uh, just for make the world a better place, but affect change for his kingdom. We want to be a church that's growing. We want to be a church full of maturing believers. And we believe that spiritual maturity is not something we ever graduate out of. Scripture clearly teaches that those who are mature in the faith are to come alongside those who are newer to the faith and help them grow, help them to understand God's word and to live obediently to them. And we're called to be part of the work that God's doing. And it's actually a great invitation and privilege. And so we want to just invite you to consider where are you serving? What fruitful work is God calling you to do? Uh, I believe that if you will answer obediently to that call, God will equip you with his word and he will bless you through it and he will use you to continue to grow uh, the family of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the invitation to join you and where you're at. And I just pray, God, that as we continue to grow and, and focus on you, that, God, you would make us like you, that you would cause us to have your heart, that you'd cause us to, to walk courageously and boldly to join you in areas that might be outside of our comfort zone but are clearly your calling that we would trust you to give us what we need for those callings and that we would be able to be a part of the things that are good, the things that are eternal, and that we would never try to do anything good outside of your Spirit's power because nothing we do in our own can ever accomplish what you do mightily through us. So help us, God, consider your call and help us to answer it courageously. We pray this in your Son's beautiful name.
Amen. Because he first loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen.